0: You are listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine.
1: Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and as always, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you here, and I want to talk about some stuff today. We have a friend who's been on the show multiple times named Jamie Tartar. And she's been on the show, she's pretty smart. And if you've listened to to the sessions that we've done together on the NASM CPT podcast, you probably got a lot out of it. So much in fact that I was like, hey, Jamie, you're pretty awesome. If you know anybody else that you think would be good, a colleague, a friend, somebody you worked with, that we, the fitness professionals can learn from and take this incredible science that you have and then accumulate that and kind of put that back into where a fitness professional can utilize that within their scope of practice, let me know. And she said, well, I, I have somebody I think that that you might like to talk to and he might like to talk to you. And he just so happens to be Julius Thomas, who is a former NFL player and a two-time pro bowler who is has shifted careers and is working his way through school towards a doctorate in psychology. With that being said, let me introduce him to you guys. Julius.
0: Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I call her JT, but uh, Dr. Tartar, she's a, a mentor. um, just been phenomenal in so many ways of helping me develop, um, you know, as an academic and giving me the opportunity to get involved in research and neuroscience. Um, so, She's one of my favorite people and uh, it makes me happy to, to know that she spoke highly of me in that way. And uh, thank you for having me on. And I hope to uh, add value and, and give the trainers out there something that's meaningful that they can use and, and apply to their own professions.
1: We got JT squared over here then. So we'll let, uh, <laughs> we'll let you guys run the business over there, but I want to pick your brain a little bit. You've, I mean, you've had a pretty good career and it's hard to, to run up, multiple seasons in the NFL and and you did so, you made it pretty far and at some point uh, you retired and and you shifted gears. I wanna know a little bit about that. So tell me about the career, what you were doing and then what led up to the shift where you're like, hey man, I'm gonna retire and I'm gonna start studying the brain.
0: Yeah, you know, it was, um, you know, first off, I'm very blessed, It was it's an amazing journey to have been an athlete for 30 years. But, um, you know, as, as you can imagine, it, it's not an um, a easy profession to have, you know, in so many different ways, you know, you know there's a the physical uh, nature, there's the mental nature, there's the uh, separation from friends and family. You've been so dedicated to this one task at an age, I don't know, 12, 13, you just decide to commit and try to become the best athlete you can. And if you're fortunate enough to continue to have success and healthy and be a part of a really good team. So um, it was an amazing experience to be an athlete, but I think in some ways I always kind of struggled with it. Um, There's not a lot of autonomy. There's not a lot of uh, room for the athlete to decide, you know, what's best for their life, how they want to even go about doing their own profession. It's one of the unique jobs that you can have in life where as your expertise continues to develop and you get better and better at what you do, you still don't really gain much say and what it is that you're doing. Um, so that was a, a part, to be honest, it was just a little bit frustrating for me, um, but I, I reached this moment kind of in my own life and it's kind of an existential thing, but um, I started to get less pleasure from having my own success than from helping other people have theirs. Hmm. And I would sit here and I would say, man, we put, our, we put our hands in this huddle and we break down one, two, three family and we say it over and over. But then we see guys struggling. We see guys struggling with what's happening in their lives um, on a personal basis, but we don't really address it. We don't we don't have the same um, energy towards addressing it as we would something that's happening on the field. And I thought, you know, if we're gonna sit here and you know put our bodies on the line and do what we can to to help each other score touchdowns, you know, why not do more for people outside of the field? And um it was really important for me to uh to try and figure out a way that I could do that and um, stepping away from the game and being able to. Um, to get involved in things that you know I wasn't fully aware of things that I hadn't had the chance to experience didn't have the time to do so. Um, mm-hmm. I really started figuring out what's that next step going to be and I was able to meet some great people and really start thinking about what would it look like to go into the field of psychology. Did you?
1: With that being said, and I know that there are a lot of times fitness professionals are doing this as well, where we uh, we are almost we feel like people's therapists at times, right? So we're working out with people, we're training with people, and sometimes they tell us these stories. They engage with us um, on on a much deeper level. My question is because you made that jump, and I'll I'll get back to that jump too, and the challenges for you and that, but. Was that a role that you were kind of playing at uh, to some degree at first? Like, were you mentoring or big brothering? Are you like the the shoulder to cry on for people? Was it was there some kind of role that that it it felt like that was the a seamless correct direction for your life to go?
0: Yeah, you know that's that's a great question. I think what you're asking is, you know, what makes you care about people? What makes you want to begin a profession that's that truly comes down to caring? And I think that that's been something, um, that has been a part of me for so long. My whole life, I was always um, very concerned with how people were functioning, how they were feeling. It was very important for me um, to develop my own mental health, develop my own mental fitness, I'm very much into philosophies and spirituality. So uh, just that altruism that, you know, caring about other was very important to me and, um, it brings me a lot of meaning and purpose and it's hard to continue finding that throughout life you know as you continue to reach these new milestones you're always having to redevelop meaning and continue to find new purposes that that are rewarding for you and i just couldn't think about you know what life would be better for me than to be able to help people with what they're struggling with or to help people become to reach the 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 peaks that they want to be at so um, the entire spectrum, from suffering to performance um, and helping others is just something that i'm I'm really passionate about.
1: Well, I want to get into to talking about some of those things. before I do, just another question. did Did CTE play a role in this decision at all and maybe seeing what some of our peers and colleagues had gone through with that? Because I, I think around the time you made this decision was also this blossoming of data and information about CTE and the NFL.
0: Yeah, so CTE was something that I think more kind of pulled me in than I uh, went out and searching for. Um, like I said, yeah. Dr. Carter, you know, being a neuroscientist and being very fascinated with the brain and how the brain changes as a result of, you know, repeated exposures to head contact, um, the question kept coming up as I was moving into the photo psychology. What do you think about CTE? Is it a concern for you? What do guys in the locker room talk about? Like, what is the insider's perfect perspective of the CTE? Um, and of course, just me being a curious person and loving to engage in conversation, I started to um, want to look more into it. But then as you start looking into CTE, you realize it really quickly that this is an illness that um, it's not well-defined. It's very difficult to get real definitive answers that, um, that people that are outside of, of neuroscience or neurology can understand. So from my investigation in CTE and talking to people and learning about cognitive decline, you really start to understand that the brain is just constantly changing. And there's so many ways that um, what we do and the things that we do over and over start to impact the brain environment. Um, So yes, I still do uh, some investigating and speaking and talking about brain injury, cognitive decline, you know, uh, from a football perspective You know, how I thought about CT, was I I worried about it? I personally wasn't. It wasn't something that that I had a fear of at all. And some people go, how? How could you not have that constantly going on in your inner dialogue? But I would always say, you know, for players, um, you know, we're more worried about these acute injuries, you know, ACLs, um, severe ankle sprains, high ankle sprains, that kind of stuff. The stuff that pulls you out of the game right now. Yes. The stuff that's happening now, you know, to think, to tell a young guy in his twenties, early thirties, you know, Hey, this could happen at 65. That's just not how athletes' minds work. We're always into the next practice, next game. Um, We don't, we don't tend to think that far ahead. It's really hard to be very focused on the moment while also thinking about what could happen later on in life.
1: I think that that holds true for athletes, but it's not limited by any means. I, I, you know, the, the amount of people that still smoke, and and the fact that you know smoking's not good for you, and the the dietary, um, uh, just the the garbage that seems to be consumed over and over again, and we know, right? Like we yeah. know it's not good for us, but I'm alright right now, and so <laughs> we 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 get in this mentality that that's something for later on, and later on shows up. So when when later on shows up, then it's, well, if I could go back and, and, and that's challenging. And I, and I know like there it's going to change the game a little bit and it, and it already has. And some people complain about it. You know, we like the hits and then this Um, it's going to change the game. It's going to continue to change the game. It's going to change the equipment and the sport in general, but it's still going to look like American football, right? Like it's, it's not going to morph into to tag or flag football.
0: I mean, that's that's what I think. Um, you know, anytime you know you have scientific advancements like being able to study the brain environment, think, well, CTE gets a lot of focus, but dementia in and of itself, um, mm-hmm. cognitive decline, these things that are happening not just for football players or contact sports athletes, but for everybody in general, um, it's a growing concern for people worldwide, and I think it's right for us to start looking into it and it's right for us to start looking at what the long-term effects of engaging in different activities are but i don't think it's really going to change the activity and i always use skiing as an example everyone loves skiing everyone that has been on the mountain and been able to have that experience they talk about what it meant and how much they enjoyed it but we just get really good at repairing memes because we yeah. have a <laughs> location between skiing and <laughs> But it does not stop people from going down the mountain. I mean, we could hold hospitals on the mountain now, just so that, you know, if you have surgery, right. you can go get the best, most quality medical care to help their recovery begin then. So I don't truly see the game of football changing too much, but I think what we do around it, I think that how we monitor what's happening in somebody's brain environment, whether that's, do you practice a day? Do you not practice a day? How many times do we put pads on? All these things that are probably going to be really good for the long-term health of athletes and also help the game um, still be something that so many people enjoy.
1: Well, if you've ever wondered where those retired athletic trainers went to, they're up on the ski mountain taking care of those people. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to reintroduce our guest today. We got Julius Thomas, who's with us. And he's a former NFL player, two-time Pro Bowl athlete, and currently working on his doctorate in psychology. And he's very focused on things like positive psychology. And we've had a guest on here recently, Darlene Marshall was on discussing positive psychology and she went through the MAP program at UPenn. And I, I, I don't think that we're going to run out of space for positive psychology and having discussions around that. Uh, it is something that's so valuable that needs to be addressed and one of the things I want to address with that is there's the shift that took place in your life. So we talked before uh, we, we got on the show about the shift that took place in mine, right? Like going from a trainer to investing money while having young children to build a business that could potentially fail. And if that business failed, then all the money that I had is gone. Plus, I owe a lot of money to yeah. the, the bank, right? So that's challenging. I'm scared. Um, was it, was there any fear for you in stepping away from this kind of monumental achievement where, and I know you mentioned autonomy and autonomy as we're very familiar and some of our, our listeners are familiar with self-determination theory and many other things where autonomy is really central to, to who we are as people. How, how did that start to take place where you have some really, and, and we know achievement is important to people. What took place? You had this great level of achievement over here, and but without the autonomy, did you feel like just that there wasn't balance in the force?
0: Well, yeah, I think you, you brought up two interesting things that, um, that, I mean, I could talk about forever, but you, one is the fear in making a transition in life. Um, and then the second would be, you know, what makes somebody say it's okay to give up million dollar contracts and to go pay to go back to school. (laughs) Um, You know, what was that inner experience like? Um, So I think maybe I can start with the fear aspect because I like to be very honest and authentic about it. And um, going from something that you're world-class at, something that when you wake up in the morning, you know that I know better than probably almost everyone on earth um, to I don't know this at all. And yeah. it's been a really long time in my life since I've been a beginner at something. Since I walked into a place and thought, "Wow, everybody here knows more than I do. I'm I'm underprepared. I'm undereducated in this space." So there was a tremendous amount of fear. Um, yeah. And being able to regulate that and to remind myself that that's do that's the brain doing what it does. The brain says, "Hey, we're safe here. Why would we leave safety and go into uncertainty?" And that's part of what any journey is going to have. And I had to remind myself that I can't I can't start to think that that's my ability or it's it's over here. You no, know, my ability is going to be how I approach this next thing I do and how I bring that same intensity, but from a more developed um, personal standpoint than when I first started playing sports into this new field. And I gotta sit with that fear, that inner anxiety, every day when you come into class, and you have to ask yourself, dude, I'm a, I'm a retired professional football player. Is this where I fit? Do I belong here? Will I be able to um, handle the rigors of a doctoral program? Because we all have that, um, that quiet soundtrack of uh, stigma and uh, societal. Um, Kind of perceptions playing in our own heads that we also have to battle so i have all that all those things are something that i have to work through on a daily basis and remind myself that no i can keep going and i can find great achievement in another discipline as well um but as far yeah. i can't remember the second one uh we talked about the fear Oh, uh, we talked about giving up autonomy. autonomy to have autonomy yeah so yeah um you know 30 years is a long time to have somebody and a group of people telling you every single thing you have to do from sunup to sundown. Um, yeah. A lot of people think that maybe you know you go to practice and you know, you're just out there tossing the ball around with your buddies, but it, it doesn't really feel that way when you're in that space. You know Somebody's telling you what time you have to be up in the morning, you get a sheet of paper, and it has every single place you're going to go into 15-minute increments what time you have to have a snack, what time you have to do these recovery modalities and it's not the modalities that you chose because you thought they would be best for you. It's the ones that they chose because they're in control and they decide you're not just going to go in here and get a workout in the weight room today. You're going to do an upper body workout. You're going to do a single arm dumbbell press at this amount of reps at this speed. I mean, yeah, it, it's amazing because the training is is something that you can't find other places, but. It was dizzying for me to not be able to make one decision. Like just, you no, know, we, we got all of that.
1: Yeah. You don't
0: you don't have to think. Just run. Don't think. Just run. And that started to bother me after a while. And I thought I think I can't keep doing that. I'm I'm 30 years old. I have a mortgage. I have everything else in life, and I'm developing in that way. But I can't come to work, and I can't think.
1: Yeah, I, I assume that's probably quite a challenge where yeah, you go from that place and you go back to school and it's like, hey, here's all of this stuff. Now go do it on your own. Nobody's holding your hand, nobody's walking you through your education. You now have to take control of that. I mean, there there's some shifts that that are taking place. And I know this because listen, there are a lot of people during the pandemic who shifted into fitness. Or right before the pandemic shifted into fitness, and then found out that gyms were closed, and they're going to be closed for the next year. So all of a sudden, things that look people look forward to, it's it's giving them anxiety. It's giving them fear. Or when somebody signs up and they want to learn how to become a personal trainer, and they get that textbook in, and you know when and they thought all they needed to do is count a few reps. And that's what trainers do. And then the textbook shows up and you're like, what? What is the origin and insertion of a muscle and joint action and planes of motion and eccentric and concentric? And now, now their heads are starting to explode. But there's this drive, right? This, this drive that says this is, this is deeper. This is heavier than I expected. But... I'm going to do this. With with something you may be familiar with, I want to ask you about it. There's something called a Losado ratio. Are you familiar with the Losado ratio?
0: I'm not familiar with it. You can explain it to me though.
1: Yeah, so this happens a lot and Seligman talks about this in his book Flourish. Um, The Losado ratio is when people talk, how they talk and how much positivity. So you take positive statements and you divide it by negative statements and that gives you your Losado ratio. And what they found is that the higher your Lasada ratio, the greater your success. And they did this with professional, it was basketball teams and they did it for every athlete for several teams. And like anytime they were in the news, anytime any athlete on the team was in the news, they'd look at the Lasada ratio and they found correlates, but there were way too many athletes to do that with. So they decided Let's redo this and now only do the ratio with coaches. And it worked out exactly the same. That wow. The Lesado ratio, the positivity of a coach divided by the negativity of a coach, and if they were more positive – Right. They focused on what's working. They focus on what's to do. Not saying that there aren't negative conversations to be had. Yeah. Right. Like I'm a huge Alabama fan. If I'm pretty sure if you look up Nick Saban, you're not going to see a lot of massaging egos there. Right. But there are positive things that are being said. And and that framework gets laid out and it gets passed down to everybody else. Same thing with you right now. Like we talked about the struggles, right? There's this component where it's like, man, I'm, I'm in deep. It hurts. I'm tired. My brain hurts. Uh, I still have two more years left in my program. I'm only halfway done. But that lesado ratio, right? That self-talk of what's good versus what isn't good. As long as you see that Lesato being, you know, three, four, five, six, then your success is absolutely laid out in front of you, and I think that's where people need to be with with optimism. Optimism has been shown medically to help people live longer. Right, mm-hmm. they're correlation studies, but still, there's a correlation between being optimistic and your morbidity and mortality rate, um, decreasing those things. So, there's something to be said for optimism. Did you do you ever feel? that when you worked with people that when, when it's down and it's weird, right? Like the Losato ratio would go with losing in general, one would think, right? So it's easier for that Losato ratio to go down uh, when teams were losing and for people to be negative. But did you see a correlation between negativity um, being spoken and negative outcomes
0: taking place? Well, I mean, I was just thinking from, from a neuroscience perspective, just, all the, the relationships that you, um, that you illustrated and how the brain and the mind are interacting with each other in all those different um, circumstances to determine, you know, belief, esteem, that, that, that confidence piece, you know? And you talked about the coaches and the players and that you're hearing these people that have had repeated experiences of success. So you start to hear that esteem in the way that they speak Um, And you talked about, you know, the difference between being uh, the the ratio between positive and negative. And, you know, I always say be net positive, be net positive in what you're saying, be net positive in um, your health promoting behaviors. Just if you can always be mindful of this ratio in life, positive to negative, you can start to really have um, really productive shifts in the things that you're doing. But, um, you know, from a Perspective of neuroscience, we understand that negative events um, they tend to be more pro-inflammatory. So Mm. you start to see these things like uh, learned helplessness, uh, the loser versus um, when you have really good things work out for you. And I like to look at everything from an inflammatory perspective. Like, what is this? What's this common code in human experience that can make all these events that are negative and the correlation with future negative outcomes, whether that's trauma, um, abuse, or losing chronically year after year, or being on a team that's known as a losing team, what's the thread there? And I think a lot of it is inflammation, and what that neuroimmune connection is doing in the body, and how your body's communicating between cells and really um, starting to improve your functioning or decrease it. kind of why the brain does that and why does the brain sometimes work against us and sometimes work for us and how do we understand that relationship in a, in a deeper way so that, that we can really start helping ourselves and those we work with
1: that's perfect man because that's really the conversation i wanted to, to have with you today which is talking about positive and negative responses and preventative medicine Right. So we're, we're looking, and as fitness professionals, that's, that's really where we feel like there's a lot of strength is that our goal. Yeah. We want to help people get fitter and faster and stronger and, and all of those things physically, but there's a correlation between the physical outcomes and your health outcomes. And, and, and a lot of that goes into well exercise also shifts our mindset and we tend to be in a better place mentally as we exercise. So can you can you kind of start to 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 put together for us in a, in a, in a package that that you see the physical body, your mental state, all of that stuff, the correlates that work together that you know, we, we've separated for so long, right? Like this is, this is good for our brain and that's reading books and this is good for our body and that's exercising. And then we'll take little bits of exercise and we connect exercise to cardiovascular, connect exercise to this, but the brain has kind of up until recently not been involved in that fitness conversation. And, and there's their benefits, right? Like what are some of those benefits? And then kind of connecting that to, to overall, like your mental space and preventative health.
0: No, perfect. I mean, um, I would love to take you through it and we'll just kind of go step by step and I'll let you see that the way that I see it, the way I conceptualize it, in a way that makes sense to me. And you can ask me questions and, um, you know, we'll really try and lay this out so that the people that are listening or watching can understand. So when you talk about positive psychology from from the way that I look at it, you know, you're really talking about five buckets, five health-promoting behaviors, pretty general, that are going to lead to positive outcomes. What are those outcomes? Uh, That's decreasing the rate of chronic disease. That's increasing disease management. That's increasing performance, you know? So you're gonna first talk about physical activity, how important that is for just the entire positive functioning, mentally and physically. Then you're gonna talk about sleep and how important sleep is and getting the right amounts of sleep. Then, of course, nutrition and what that's doing in the body. Then you move into having these positive experiences in a day. Whether some people we listen to music, read, journal, take a walk, um, these type of uh, things that make you feel mentally um, better. Are you doing those? And what number of those? And how much are you engaging in throughout a week? And then lastly, what's your relationship with substances? Well, you know whether like we talked about earlier, smoking cigarettes or alcohol or drugs, and how are those impacting you? Like the, the nervous system part of you. So I think that when you talk about physical activity, it's really important to remember that when you're physically active, your body's producing growth factors. So I really want to like take a second and pause there and just really think about that. Like when you're doing things that um that are physically active, it doesn't even have to be going into a to a, a gym and like, going hard on the weight room. It could be taking a bike ride, it could be um, you know, jogging with a friend, like all these things are producing growth factors and those growth factors are entering your bloodstream and then they're making their way up into your brain. So one of those growth factors that we talk a lot about, we hear a lot about is BDNF. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was actually writing a chapter and I started thinking, well, you know, what's going on with BDNF? I hear about BDNF (laughs) brain derived neurotrophic factor. What is a tropic factor? What does it mean? And why does that matter? So I started thinking, well, where does BDNF come from? We get it, like, okay, BDNF's going to brain, we're getting mentally healthy. Make it make sense, break it down. So the first thing is BDNF, it's, it's released when your muscles contract. So the more you contracting these muscles, the more um, growth factor that they're producing that are making their way into your brain. And one of those really positive results of increased um, growth factors in your body is that it's enabling your brain to make new neurons. Why are neurons important? Because as we age, we lose them. And we, if we now can understand that, wait, human beings can produce new neurons throughout their life. Oh, how's this happening? Oh, wait, this is happening because increased levels of BDNF are starting to help people produce more neurons. And what is, what's, what's the result of that? the result seems, seems to be better mental functioning. Oh, physical activity is essential, it's important. Not only is the physical activity helping me maintain muscle strength um, and all the benefits that are going to happen with that from supporting my skeleton to me age better. But that same physical activity is also producing growth factors that I'm unaware of and that increased growth factors in the blood are making it into my brain. And that's helping me have better mental health, better cognitive functioning. That's an essential piece of what I should be doing in a week. Um, to the recommended physical fitness um, levels to make sure that I'm supporting my brain and body at the same time.
1: Julius Thomas, you're laying it down thick. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got Julius Thomas here, former NFL player, and now shifting into working on his doctorate currently uh, in psychology. And he's, he's about halfway done with his, his program and th- I mean, if, if you're laying down this kind of information and you're only halfway as educated as you're about to be, then then the world better watch out because we got some some good stuff coming. Before we move forward with this, let me ask you a question. I see in the background you have a, a
0: sign up. Tell me about that sign. Tell me what that means to you. Um, you know, the Mamba mentality, you know, it's, it's a constant quest to be the best version of oneself. And I don't think that there's anything that's more important to have as a mantra to remind myself every day. It's now that I'm going into a new discipline, new field, what's the why in it? You know, for so long, I always tell people, your why has always been to make money. That, that's, a hu- that's most humans. Everything they're doing throughout their week is because they need to make enough money to be able to pay the, the bills that they have and to do the things they want to do. But what if you no longer have that why anymore? that's an existential crisis. That's a place to be where you now have to to rebuild this meaning and purpose in your life. And what better thing to commit to than saying, I don't know every direction life is gonna take me in, but I'm gonna commit to being the best version of myself. That means not getting comfortable with what I've done in the past or not somebody else being comfortable with where they currently are. And it doesn't mean you have to become you obsess yourself with trying to become the best in everything. No, it just means every day you're just trying to get a little bit better. And wherever you're starting from, that's fine. You just got to keep going. And you're never going to be able to fully realize that masterpiece inside of you, that fullest expression of yourself, unless you continually apply strain to your days. And you want to do that in the right manner. And that's why um, having somebody like a personal trainer and having people to understand how the brain and the body all work together to help you manage that strain, because I'm sure that we could probably talk about that forever. You can push too far and you can start to forget to do the recovery stuff. And all these things will start to have negative impacts on your performance. But for me, I, I really encourage the people I work with and the people I talk to is, hey, what are you doing today to get just a little bit better than you were yesterday?
1: Yeah, I pulled up a quote while you were talking, and this goes back to to when I was taking that jump from not being a business owner to being a business owner. I read this quote, and this was single-handedly, if, if I were to point at any one thing that changed. And of course, there are a lot of factors that that play into it, but it was this quote. And I want to read it to you, and I'll get your response from it. Um, from uh, somebody named Anias Nin, and she wrote, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more powerful than the risk it took to blossom. And I feel like that's where I was, that that I was tight, and I was in a bud, and I wanted to blossom, but it was scary out there. Yeah. It was, sc- And I could lose everything. I could blossom, and that would be it, right? I'd lose everything. But... I couldn't not blossom. And yeah. and to me speaks to a lot about what you're talking about is it's scary out there. You don't know what the next steps are going to be like. You don't know what's waiting out there for you. And it could be failure. Yeah. And I got to the point where I was okay with that, that I was okay if I was going to fail because I needed to try to succeed and do something that, that for me was, was great. And it's not just, did I do that? And it's a single achievement, but it's an ongoing achievement and it's ongoing desire. And I've, I've had failures and, you know, I've had a pandemic losses in business and, and a lot of things have taken place and I don't look back at those things and think, ah, I just wish I would have never done it and saved a lot of money. Um, (laughs) I mean, there are moments where, where I think that, but then I think, well, what, what would I have done with them? I probably could have spent it on something else. And maybe also had failed, but there's a process and I learned from it. And my mentality isn't let me, let me ruminate over what's lost. It's let me learn from what I did and, and go on focusing on something else that, that I can move towards. So being, being tight in that bud and that was just too painful. So I needed to do something and, that where I could have potentially lost everything, but I needed to take that risk. Where does this Mamba mentality fit in with, with risk takers? And also I like what you said with, with exercise coming from uh, an athlete. So, you know, two two time Pro Bowl NFL player. And you just said, you don't have to go uh, ham necessarily, right? Like you can, you can go for a jog with a friend, you can ride a bike. So, you know, I, I see that and I'm thinking, man, if, if you're saying that and you have a history of incredible workouts, challenging workouts, but that's not necessarily where somebody is. So wh- where are people and their decision to what's next? And that Mamba mentality doesn't mean necessarily a huge jump and and something that they're incapable of handling. Uh, it It just puts you into a little bit better. What's your what's your steps to a little bit
0: better? yeah um, there's this whole concept called moderation. and I think that what they've been what? Talking about moderation yeah, <laughs> They've been talking about this this moderation, this middle way, this not remaining as the same person, but not necessarily believing that you have to now be this other person or this fantasy self that you've created in your mind that you now feel like you have to go attain. Um, when you start to really understand the body and the biological process in the body, we talk about this inverted U concept. But the mm-hmm. body actually doesn't want not enough strain, but it also doesn't want too much strain. The body likes these, these inverted U's, these Goldilocks zones, these just right for me places. Yeah. And that's what people have to find. And when I really start getting into understanding wellness and understanding the wellness behaviors and what it's going to take, it, it really is a moderation. And that's really what we recommend. And that's what the evidence and the science says is, it's the moderation that's best for you. So as you continue to find ways that you can moderately make tomorrow a little bit more difficult than yesterday was, or if you can um, go into a new experience that seems something scary to you, or to even start letting your mind wander to the things that, what am I not that great at? What could I, what areas of myself can I make these small improvements in that if I do consistently, Oh, there it is. Back, And I think that's kind of what you were talking about where you were was you you pushed away from the shore into the the metaphorical sea of what could happen when you decided that I want my life to be a journey. I don't need my life to be a constant stream of successes and um, no struggle and no difficulty because it's hard to think about possibly having to life throw strain at you. Or you can say if i make my life a journey and i continue to meet the challenges that are ahead of me with this the right values and the right mindset you're going to be able to look back on this experience called life and say you know what i really enjoyed it i gotta be honest
1: i have i i have enjoyed it and it's not always been easy but it it's it's been worthwhile and I remember also I was talking to my wife at one point and this was early on in the business. I just didn't know if it was going to go very well. And I said to her, um, you know, I, I wonder what business I'll, I'll do next. And for me that was really funny because it took so long to actually commit to a business that was potentially failing. And in my mind I was like, what's my what's next. And yeah, I'd, I was so worried before about failing that I wasn't going to try and then it was strange cuz I was in the midst of potentially failing and ready to do it again somewhere else somehow else just to make it happen and and I think the answer with this in some cases is that our fear of what something's going to be like isn't that bad but we we create the monster yep and, and you know that's that was something that when I came face to face with it, and, and fortunately the that business ended up working out but in the beginning that was tough I was that was 86 hours a week at the gym opening a new place you know seeing my kid I purposely had it closed on Sundays so I could have one day to yeah. see my kids one day to see my wife um it was it, it was challenging i I wouldn't do that again that's not where i am in my life but uh I, I put a lot into it and i was ready to to make that change there are a lot of people out there who are going through it i know that you went from from playing sports and and big contracts and uh to to saying i'm, I'm gonna do something that i'm interested in but i don't even know if i'm any good at it
0: yeah and, and it's a uh, i'm not sure if you've you've heard of. Uh psychological flexibility or act. Um, but one thing that's very important for uh, psychologists that study psychological flexibility is to understand how experiential avoidance affects people's behaviors. And I think that's a lot of what you're talking about is um, what What was your relationship with fear? Well, at first it seemed like, okay, that you talk about being in that bud and it's that, that safe place, but then you decided, nah, I'm willing to accept fear as part of life and I'm not going to let fear continue to be the driving motivational factor in what I do today or what I don't do today or any other experience that's emotionally challenging for us. And once you start to be comfortable in that uncomfortable place and you really truly get that deep down um, in your mind and you start to apply that into your life, you start to realize like, no, fear never leaves. It's just like you said, you didn't, Know that that first business or the next business, they all had the same equal amounts of bad things that could happen from the first to whenever you you end up on the, the fifth or sixth at some point. But it was your relationship with what bad could happen that changed, and that's what can make you sit there and go, "Well, when I do this again, because now you're becoming more confident—maybe not always in your ability to succeed, but to be able to endure times that are difficult."
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that what ended up happening was, we can go back to the Los ratio, right? Like all I kept thinking about was what good can come out of it. And then I would say, Oh, what about the bad stuff? What about the bad? And then I would say, well, then there's this. And what about the bad stuff? And so the bad stuff kept bringing me back down, but the ratio of positivity, what great could come out of it? What are the benefits and the blessings that I could receive from, from this journey? Um, it It became overwhelming to the point that that I just had to jump. and And you see this, there are spikes in motivation. And this this goes back to something you were already talking about, right? Like the yeah. spike in motivation is not necessarily a healthy thing. Somebody gets spikes in motivation and they they throw out all of their junk food, right? It's gone. And then, The next day or day or two, they're like, man, why did I throw out all that stuff, right? So we, we jump to it and we get these spikes in motivation, but what we don't do, and you talked about it when you discuss moderation and consistency, we need to be able to say, all right, well, when I get my lulls of motivation, can I still do enough that I can overcome my least motivation? And if you could say, what's that little bit that you can do every day, but can you do it consistently? Can you make small wins and tiny tiny shifts in behavior that allow you to do something a little bit as long as it's coming over the least possible amount of motivation you could have? And you might spike your motivation and jump back up, but those little tiny bits of motivation when you're not really feeling it, can you make that walk instead of a run? And can you, can you show up and do something instead of nothing? And that's one of the things that that I talked about a lot on a program I used to do called the Daily Move Challenge, and that speaks to it, daily move. Like we, we're going to do something every day on a six-week commitment, and I would constantly say a little bit of nothing, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. And yep. that was kind of the, the motivation throughout. And it was like, hey, man, five minutes. Even working with clients, I would say, go to the gym. I know like just do one set of your favorite exercise, not your least favorite, don't do a lot of anything, just do one set of your favorite exercise. And they'd say, what's that gonna do? And I would tell them, it allows you to show up. Mm -hmm. And if you do one set and you leave, you've succeeded. Mm -hmm. But the issue usually isn't doing the work, it's showing up to do the work. So once they got there, One set wasn't enough and they always did more. They almost always did more showing up's the tough part, doing the little things, doing the little things that that's not as challenging, doing those little things consistently. That's what we're really
0: working towards. No, man, I agree. And this is why I love talking about positivity and positive functioning, not just the the mental experience of positivity, but the actual positive functioning. Um, what you talked about there was just another um, word that we seem to not really think about or um, value as much as we used to. But this just discipline—that's just having the discipline to do what it is consistently over and over. What, what it's going to take for you to develop, and uh, another thing that I, I try to remind people of, especially uh, clients or patients that, that I work with, pacing. Pacing is so mm-hmm. like when when you. i can speak for myself you know when i come in after the off season and it's april and i'm getting there and the um the weight coach comes in he says all right here's your booklet and that bench press weight that squat weight that vertical jump number none of that is where it's going to be right before season comes september right because we're going to pace to get there the body has to have a pace. The mind has to have a pace because um, growth, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes consistent right like, things over and over. And um, I always try to encourage people and remind them, it's, hey, it's about a pace, a constant forward motion, a movement. It doesn't mean that you have to be at a sprint all the time. It doesn't mean that you have to come over here and increase the weight every week. Maybe you're stuck at that same weight for three weeks, four weeks but keep sticking it out and
1: eventually you can push through. I I like that. I'm going to point out a different way. There was a, there's a writing project. I just turned into NASM yesterday and I'll use this analogy was in the writing project is is if you've ever gone to uh, your garage or a basement or an attic or a closet and looked at it and just shook your head and were like, "Mm -mm, I can't, I just can't clean it. What a what a disaster. And we turn around and we just walk away like it's too much. It's too much to take on. But um, the chances are that stuff didn't show up in a truck. And and if we look at consistency, this is kind of not a version of consistency we look at, but we constantly put little things in there over time. And those little things built up to something great. And this is ne- a negative version of what that looks like, but it's all a version that we've all experienced. I don't want to do the dishes or I don't want to clean my closet or I clean my bedroom because little things over time added up. And we look at that in this particular negative sense, but can we flip that and can we turn it on its head and say, well, what about the little things that we can do? And we, we sometimes focus so much on the end result being so far away that we can't even start to take the steps to move forward. And if we stop focusing on what is this great accomplishment I'm trying to do and just take those first steps. And, you know, the the, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first steps. And if all you ever did was focus on the thousand miles, then you maybe would never take those steps. So, taking those bite-sized pieces and looking at how consistency adds up over time.
0: Yeah, and, you, and it's important, and this is why I, I love neuroscience and I'll always um, try and communicate neuroscience to others because that's how the motivation circuit works in the brain because the brain is always making appraisals and it wants to know if is the effort worth, worth the reward. Mm.
1: It's
0: not something that just humans have. Rats have it. Any animal, any mammal you can find is their brain is always having to do these appraisals because the, the body, the nervous system is essentially thrifty. It, it's always worried about survival and you have to start understanding that relationship that your brain, that your mind and your brain have. And there's that, that tension there. It's like you said, if you have a large garage and you've got a ton of stuff to do, your brain looks at that and goes, man, the effort's not worth the reward. I'm not garage. But if you don't look at the whole entire cumulative mass of maybe what you let build up that you shouldn't have and you just focus on a corner of the garage and you say man how great would it look if I could just get that corner of the garage very neat and ordered Yeah. then your brain might appraise that and go wow I think that that, that effort might be worth that reward and then you get that piece done and then you start to like the way that the garage looks all <laughs> neat so oh, let me take another chunk and that's the, that's the chunking, that's the pacing, that's the breaking it down and really being intentional about moving forward.
1: That's what uh, Barbara, I think it's Barbara Fredrickson, des- describes as uh, uh, broadening and building. And yeah. that's yeah. where she, she discussed what, what she called upward spirals that that we're moving and we think downward spirals all the time like oh no I'm downward spiral but they there are upward spirals. there are things that you broaden and you build and these positivity components not are, aren't in a silo like the what, what you did there in that small little corner of the garage at not only does it expand in the garage, but it expands in your work and in your life and in your relationships with people and colleagues and and loved ones. And so we see this building effect that takes place when we start to build ourselves and start to make these
0: positive changes in our lives. Uh, 100% I agree. It's um, your mindset has to grow. (laughs) It's it's, it's easy to lose sight of where you began for anybody in any walk of life. I can only speak about myself personally, but, if I was 11 years old and I had to think about blocking DeMarcus Ware on a fourth down, or Von Miller, I would have had to give up right then. No but if you just keep sticking with it and, and you go off and you play basketball for eight years and that doesn't work out professionally, and then you find yourself over here. and Now you 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 would think that somehow these don't overlap, but you've built these um, these parts of yourself and you've, you've created this growth now it translates beautifully into this other aspect of life. Or Now if you get to the top of the mountain and you got to come all the way down into the valley, leave your nice place you built up there in that career or in that space in life and start over again, you get to keep that mindset. You may not have the same ability um, and the same skill set, but the mindset's there. And if you continue to make these mental strides every day to try and be as resilient as you can be mentally, that carries over into everything you do in life,
1: and that's awesome. That is awesome, Julius Thomas. Thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, your expertise, and sharing that with me and sharing that with the audience that is here. Uh, is there anything else, just in in leaving that that you would uh, you would say to to our fitness professionals? And then, as you wrap up, if you have any social media handles that you'd like to call out, if people can reach out to you for anything, then then let, let us have it
0: yeah i think that you know i really want to encourage the um the fitness professionals to continue to be proactive with going out to people you know prevention is so important and the reason why is because the prevalence of chronic disease is growing in our country um i think there's 210 million americans that are suffering from a chronic disease and a lot of our chronic diseases are preventable and that's going to be doing those health promoting behaviors over and over and over again and encouraging others to do it and when you're a fitness professional, your, your role of support is so important. Because on those dog days, I mean, when it's hard to come and, and your trainer says, no, I'm expecting you to be at the gym today, you got this. I'll, I'll dial it back, but I, I think you got to keep working. And the role that it's going to take everybody in public health together combined to really be able to, to turn around the trajectories of what long-term health Quality of life, life satisfaction looks like for the people in this country is important, and I'm always going to be an advocate of that. So, I just really want to encourage you know the fitness professionals um, to keep understanding more, keep learning, keep being educated on all the things that they can do to really help the people that they work with live healthier lives. And um, I, I don't do that much social media, but uh, I'm on Instagram. Just I think it's Julius underscore Thomas and you know, as I continue to develop and, and grow in my career, I'll, I'll continue to try and do more things where I can try and share some of the understandings that I'm learning in um, in my professional journey uh, with others so that they're able to help themselves and the people they work with.
1: Wow. I love it, man. We've got a, it's like a coming of age story as an adult, right? Yeah. <laughs> and And it continues and it's constant. So uh, thank you for for being being a part of this show and 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 talking to our audience. I really appreciate it. Everybody want to say thank you for participating. Thank you for listening. And many of you have done so. If you are interested, please hit me up on uh, Instagram. It's dr.rickrichie. And you can DM me with any of the ideas that you have for podcast topics. You can also email me rick.richie R-I-C-H-E-Y, at nasm.org. Many of you have. I appreciate it. And I've followed up with you and provided some podcasts because of that. So if you have some ideas that you want to work towards, then reach out to me. Thank you, Julius, for your time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast.